Hello and welcome to College Admissions with Mark and Anna. Each week we talk about different college admissions topics and answer those tough questions you may be dealing with concerning getting into the college of your choice. We know how stressful this process can be, so each episode we try to make it easier to navigate. Now, here are your hosts, Anna Wren and Mark Hofer. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Mark and Anna's College Admissions Podcast. I'm Mark Hofer, and I am joined by my fabulous co-host, Anna Wren. Hi, Anna. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Mark? Well, I'm good. We're out here in soaking wet Seattle today, but uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about recommendations. I think it's part of the application process that um, a lot of uh, students don't know a lot about or how to prepare for. And when we were talking with one of our guests the other day, we noticed that not a lot of people know, or a lot of students know, exactly Mm -hmm. what is involved. Um, Since we have early action and early decisions deadlines rapidly approaching, I thought it would be something fun to talk about. I agree, Mark. And I think... It's, it's also a very uh, important topic because another thing that I don't think kids talk about is, you know, this is the first time that students are usually talking to adults more and asking something of them. <laughs> so, so certain coaching probably should go into that. But, you know, why don't we first start off by talking about, like, I guess, what are they and why are they necessary? Exactly. I think. I think one of the things that students have a, a difficult time understanding is why are they asking for these recommendations and what do schools want them for in the first place? And I think in general, if you just take a couple steps back and look at what a recommendation represents, it's it's basically what does an adult say about you and what's their relationship with you? What are some of the things that you've noticed when you talk with your students that they just don't understand about the recommendation process or what parts of it are important? That's a great question. I think uh, there's a few key ones, especially we're noticing this season during the pandemic, I think is one question is who to ask. So who who do you ask a recommendation from? And so I usually tell students there's like three, typically there are three different types of recommenders. So there's your counselor who provides context about you as a student within the school itself. And then there's your teachers and how many teachers you need that will vary based on, you know, the colleges you apply to. But, you know, I would say I recommend two from core teachers. And, you know, if you're applying for certain schools like engineering, right, Mark, you also should make sure they're from certain subjects. So you can talk about that. And then lastly, there's this other bucket, which is, um, a recommender who knows you outside of school and might be able to shed information about you in other situations or other scenarios and can still speak to your, your personal growth potentially. Agreed. That's, that's one of the things I think students, when they are faced with getting these recommendations, they immediately kind of identify who is it that they could possibly ask that would say good things about them. And one of the things when I talk with students, I tell them, you know, they need those two Two recommendations from core teachers, one from a math science, one from an English history. And then they ask, well, why would they want those two particular areas? And I generally tell them that the math science is one that can identify their, especially if they're looking to go into a STEM subject or that nature, they're looking for somebody who can speak directly to their, the way they approach problems, their intellectual potential, how they use math. How do they work through problems, their curiosity, that kind of thing. And then they use the English and history teachers 
they can have them as a source that talks about their writing ability, their ability to express a cohesive idea, and can they communicate effectively, especially written. And I think as soon as students know kind of what they are looking for, then they identify which teachers might be able to supply that kind of information. That's a great point. And I think maybe if you could touch on this too, because a lot of STEM students I work with, they like to like, for example, ask their computer science teacher to write a rack um, or two STEM teachers. But then they're very surprised when applying to certain tech schools later and realizing that they don't have the recommendations. So maybe you can also shed a little light on that. Yeah, the, especially if you are applying to a tech school or you're applying to a school and you're, you're looking at STEM um, programs, a lot of times what uh, STEM programs are looking for, they, they, they know the metrics, the numbers that you have, uh, what your grades are in those kind of areas, and they know the metrics of your test scores. So they are aware of your ability to use math, use numbers, um, critical thinking. That is available to them as a number. But what they need to know is from their computer science teachers, their math teachers, Anything that deals with technology or the idea of how do you work through and think through problems, those are the teachers. If teachers can identify how you do those things and be able to communicate that effectively to the school, which is another point, those are the things that schools really would love to see um, a recommendation from. Yes. And I also think like what you had said about the humanities, because I know like, for example, Caltech and Harvey Mudd and I think MIT, you need a humanities recommender as well. And I think just like you said, Mark, it's to demonstrate, I think for STEM education, it doesn't mean they only want background from a STEM teacher. They also want to know that you can communicate well. And that's probably why they require those humanities recommendations as well. Exactly. And that that goes into the point of how do you identify or what are the characteristics of a teacher Yes. That, uh, you want to have write your recommendations. So what kind of things do you tell your students to look for in a teacher that they're going to go ask for a recommendation? I usually tell them that it should be a teacher that knows them well and preferably more recently. So, you know, it varies based on college, but I think most colleges would prefer a teacher from their junior year uh, write the letter of recommendation because it's most recent. And they would have had them for the full year. But obviously, things are changing with the pandemic. And, you know, I think <laughs> I think colleges realize that that might not have been as easy to accomplish uh, with virtual learning. And so I was really excited. I, I read this like I think a week or two that UPenn had expanded their recommendation to be like one teacher and then one other, um, which I think is was a great step because some students might not have two teachers that know them really well during the pandemic. Um, but other than that, I would say, like, who do they think um, would be able to speak well of them and how they interact in the classroom? Um, and then, you know, if they've done it before. <laughs> uh, I have some students who ask me, like, hey, Anna, so I really like my teacher, but this is their first year teaching. <laughs> is it a good idea to ask them? And I said, chances are, I said, if they're up for it, I, I, I don't see why not. <laughs> you can, you can offer resources or they will have resources to help guide them. What do you tell students? Yeah. That, and speaking to the bandwidth issue of teachers, that's, that's the other issue that, that often comes up. Do they actually have the time to be able to write one? And that's, 
I think a first year teacher is so overwhelmed. Having been there and done that, I, you know, getting through that first year is just trying to keep swimming fast enough to keep your head above water. So in some cases, that's, that's not the best route to go. But I usually tell students, I, we start with the golden ticket, which is, you know, if you had a perfect person to write your recommendation, it's somebody who's known you for, you know, taught you in multiple classes over three years, you've had contact with them outside of school, they know you in different things, extracurriculars and all that. That's a perfect teacher who knows you in the classroom, out of the classroom, and for a long period of time. With COVID, that those those things are almost impossible. Um, but depending on on you know what your relationship has been with teachers prior to COVID and now after or as we're moving out of some of the COVID restrictions, I ask the students, do they know you well enough to be able to describe your sense of humor? That's kind of the baseline. If they can do that, chances are they know you enough to be able to write a recommendation that talks about you at a level which is useful to you in the school. So that's kind of that foundational thing. Do they know you well enough to um, describe uh, things that are important to you? Have they had conversations about where you're headed, what kind of things you're passionate about, what kinds of things you wanted to study in college? If they know those things already, they can probably work that into your recommendation in an authentic way that sounds and supports you well. And I would add, I I love that you said that, Mark, because I think a lot of people ask for letters of recommendation last minute. And but most people don't realize that actually you probably the, the work of what goes into a letter of recommendation started long before. It was all those days you show up in class, right? And also like be, it's not just about the grade because some students have asked me like, hey, should I only pick the teacher who um, gave me a good grade? And I'm like, that's not necessary. They should be able to see your growth, um, but not necessarily have, you know, see, you know, <laughs> uh, given you an, a straight A's or whatever. Um, but I think the other thing is, that students don't realize sometimes it's not just what you do in class, but also pay attention to body language. So if you're someone who's often caught falling asleep in class, that might not be the best teacher to ask a letter of recommendation from um, because it's not just about the grade, but just overall, just who you are as a person and as a student. Agreed. One of the things that I also have students kind of take a step back and when they're considering teachers to ask for recommendations, kind of, Ask around, ask, you know, t- ask other students if you, if you know uh, seniors who had previously asked for recommendations and had recommendations written, ask them, you know, wh- how, how did that teacher actually um, gather information to write the recommendation in the mm. first place? The other thing is, you, what's the quality of their writing? Um, when you get a syllabus from your, your teachers and you've seen their writing, how they write lessons and that kind of thing, are they a good writer to begin with? That actually works to your advantage if they can communicate ideas effectively. The other part is, and, I, and this is a tough one, because when you ask a student, is this a teacher who cares about their students? Do they support mm. students? Do they do it at school? Is it something that you can tell they want their students to be successful. Uh, unfortunately, there are teachers who that's not primary uh, reason why they're in the school. So with that in mind, don't ask somebody who doesn't engage with students very much. Even if you got a good grade in the class, that really probably doesn't indicate that they're going to write a 
uh, or be a good source for a recommendation in the future. No, that's a great point, Mark. Um, I think we should also talk about when to ask. When do you usually tell your students to ask for them? <laughs> the students that I work with, and, and this gets me in trouble because they think, well, you know, it's so far away. <laughs> I actually have them, and we'll talk about this in a second, but we, I, I have students write a brag sheet and we start actually about December. And the wow. reason why is because they're starting to add activities, their activities list material, that kind of thing. And they can add to it as time goes on. But we're also perfecting their or making sure that their brag sheet describes what's important to them, why they're going to college, so that a teacher can use that in their recommendation. The things that are important to you that you want a school to know about you Having been a teacher and written hundreds of recommendations, I can tell you if a student lets me know what's going to help them in the process of applying to college, I'm going to do that for them. I want to support them in that success. So if they let me know things that are going to appear in their application, I can add that to my recommendation as well. So it makes a cohesive statement. But I actually have them do that brag sheet. We finish it over March. I ask them to identify their teachers that they're going to ask before they get out of their, you know, for their junior summer. And so they're asking mm -hmm. teachers before summer starts. And so that that teacher has it in mind um, and knows that they're going to be asked for that recommendation, you know, down the line in just a couple months. Do they give them the brag sheet when they ask too? Actually, I have students do it as a formal ask. And what I mean by that is I, I think this is a, an opportunity to get used to doing some of these professional um, behaviors and habits. And that's make an appointment with a teacher. Say you would like five minutes of their time. Go in, have a brag sheet ready. Ask them formally, I'm applying to college. Would you consider writing me a recommendation? If it would be helpful, I have a brag sheet of material um, of things that are important to me and some of the schools that I'm thinking about applying to. If you'd like that, I can provide that information. And basically, it's a, a formal ask, getting used to asking uh, in a professional manner for something. And that's just going to be part of the same thing. They'll do it for internships later when they get to college. Uh -huh. They'll do it for jobs after that. So they might as well start and use it as a safe practice area. Yeah, I, I totally hear you on that. We actually... Uh, I actually don't have them start brag sheets that early. That is worth considering though, Mark. Um, but we actually ask teachers and I also encourage asking in person whenever possible in March of their junior year. And I think it's because at least in our state, it's so competitive. And a lot of times teachers do place caps on how many letters of recommendations they'll write that if you ask by June, it might be too late. So we usually recommend in the spring um, if there's a certain teacher they really, really want, because I've definitely heard from other students um, like later, you know, that, you know, the teacher would have been happy to, but they already signed up for too much on their plate. Exactly. So we recommend, you know, your teachers probably won't write them <laughs> that early or in the summer, um, but at least asking them and giving them the heads up is definitely a great idea. And and appreciating their time, I think. And I, I love that you encourage them to hand in or have the brag sheet ready when they ask. One of the one of the things, having written recommendations as a teacher, I can tell you that um, having a student come in thoughtfully, prudently, 
with the idea and intention that I'm going to respect your time. I'm going to be respectful of if you want to write it over the summer. I was a weird teacher in that I liked writing recommendations and I did it over the summer because I wanted mm. to really support students in the best possible way. And it was also some of the downtime when I could actually do it in a responsible and respectful manner, as opposed to, you know, just get it done. Right. So with that in mind, it, it's, it's to the, the student's advantage. Also, when teachers have a student who comes in and treats that, um, it's not transactional. It is actually relationship building and, yes. and saying, I respect you and your time. And I would like you to do this uh, in, in the best possible manner you can. And I'm trying to set us up for success in doing that. And with that in mind, I think most teachers feel respected and that comes across in their recommendations. So it's to the student's advantage to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And we mentioned brag sheets, but you know, I think based on our conversation with our previous guest, we actually haven't spoken about what they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, brag sheets are... Are one of these interesting things, of course, you know, just the name brag sheet. I, I also call it, you know, your highlight reel film, um, something of that nature, because a lot of students, they, they don't want to brag about themselves and that makes them feel uncomfortable. And I let them know that this is a time for humble swagger, talking about those things that you do well and that you are proud of, that you want to let a representative at a college who's going to read your application, let them know these things. And it's okay to say, these are things I've done well. These are things I'm proud of. And I think students, uh, especially those students who aren't comfortable about talking about themselves and what they do and what they do well, brag sheets can be a little intimidating. I, have you found that? Yes. And you know, what's crazy is we also have parent brag sheets out here on the East Coast too. Yep. So it's like a nerve wracking time for parents and students to finish their brag sheets, or sometimes they're called student questionnaires. So that's another thing I would point out is they, they have many names, but they serve the same purpose in terms of providing anecdotal evidence of um, your character and your growth um, and your intellectual curiosity and other factors to admissions. But I, I would say like, if you get those sheets uh, your junior year, please take them seriously. Um, Cause I've definitely worked with students. They're like, Oh yeah, I got something back in February, but they didn't say it was for recommendations. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't know that we can change it now if, they, if you've already filled it out. But um, yeah, I think they can be stressful because, you know, oftentimes students tell me like, no one's ever asked me these questions before. Right. You exactly. know, three adjectives to describe myself and I have to have examples of them, you know? So, you know, I think do not rush them. I don't know if, if what you tell your students, but I tell my students like, hey, take a good month if you have it, right? To really thoughtfully work through your student questionnaire or brag sheet. And, and if, if you cannot think of all the examples, um, you know, talk with friends, talk with your family too, right? They might remember some of those highlights that, that you might have overlooked. Absolutely. Yeah. That, one, one of the things I, I actually use uh, the brag sheet as a second piece, I try to try to leverage the time that students use on some of these things so that they are actually preparing for the application itself. That the application, like say the common application, it has the activities list. And a lot of times that takes students forever. Well, I start in December or January, I have students write their, um, fill out their resume. 
And one of the things at the bottom is your extracurriculars and things that you've done. Get used to using the language and describing it that way. Then on the brag sheet, they do that again, the non-academic experience. And it's a list of activities, extracurricular things Uh that they've done. That actually sets them up for when they have to drop it into the the common application or the coalition application. So they've done most of that work by the time they get to the application anyway. But with brag sheets, a lot of students, they don't understand that most of it is information that uh, a teacher is going to need to be able to send in their recommendation. Things like you know, what school, what's your application number, um, your full name. That's that's the other part. You, if you're a teacher and you're making a recommendation to actually drop it into common application, you need the student's full name. And mm-hmm. that's you know, part of the brag sheet. You can just make it easier. Your GPA and all of the other kind of stuff like class rank. But then you get into the good stuff where a teacher can leverage the information you provide them to speak to a representative. Basically, that that brag sheet is going to be your conduit to speaking to a representative through your your recommendation. So if you can provide your teacher that information, it's invaluable for them to support you. If you identify, I want to go to college to do these things, and this is why, that can be invaluable for a teacher as they're writing that recommendation. Absolutely. Um, I love the examples you provided. And, you know, I think sometimes um, it's not just in the classroom stuff, too. I think context is really important. I was sitting in on some conference and admissions was saying how most of the recommendations they receive are not helpful, which I thought was interesting. Um, But then they were talking about how this one teacher had written like this four page letter of recommendation for a student providing so much context, including more background about the student's family mm-hmm. and additional responsibilities and what was on the student's plate. And it was able to kind of reframe, right, the applicant's profile with that information. So, you know, I would say like, it's also, it requires students sometimes to be a little vulnerable as well, the brag sheets sometimes, but it's also that admissions can put together a a better picture, a more complete picture of the student. Absolutely. I think every every one of the representatives that we speak with, they'll tell you, you know, a good recommendation will actually provide some information of either clarity and support of what is already on the application, but can also provide additional information about the student's character that doesn't show up anywhere else. And in some cases, if you've got a, a student who, you know, they, they may have listed, I have a job on their activities list and, and outlined, you know, the number of hours, but some, a teacher who knows the responsibilities that some of these students have to their family, to their brothers and sisters, uh, to their work or why they work, actually highlighting why they do those things can be invaluable for a representative at a college to make sense of a lot of the other information. So a good recommendation. And there again, a brag sheet that helps it helps a teacher actually put perspective on it. That can be invaluable in the application process. Nope. You're absolutely right. And you mentioned so many good things about character. And so I wanted to call out like, sometimes I feel like students also have difficulty, like what are my character traits? Um, And so I wanted to call out uh, the making caring common. They have so many great worksheets 
about character qualities and how they can make it into a letter recommendation. So I highly recommend that. Um, there are resources for students and teachers that are working on recommendations. I have I have students in, in their brag sheet. I, I, I ask them, and like you say, this for some students, this is vulnerable and it actually is an exercise that they haven't been challenged with before. You know, in school, we have lots of opportunities to identify intellectual potential and, and what we do well with thinking and how we communicate. But what we don't have are those things that kind of actually reflecting on what we do well and why that's important and being able to communicate that. I think students aren't often asked to do that. So on the brag sheet, I ask them, identify three distinguishing and admirable characters or qualities and characteristics that you have. And I find students, that is that can be a stumper for them because they haven't come mm. back and, and said, what do I do well? What, 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 is, what is an admirable quality that I have and put out into the world? And so in some cases, that can be, that can be a little bit daunting, but a, a very refreshing for some students, for sure. Absolutely. And I also think like uh, if parents have parent brag sheets, I'll call this out too, is it's not, even though it's called a brag sheet, it's not necessarily about the awards and the scores and the grades and the, the AP classes they took. Because I feel like some of the parents I work with, they like to list that stuff. And for sure, I think, you know, that, that those are all achievements. But I would say they're looking for more intangible stories, if that makes sense. Like the, the things you can't see anywhere else in the application profile. So one of the my favorite questions I like to see on the brag sheets is like, tell us about something you're most proud of. And that's sometimes on a parent one and a student one. It's interesting, Mark. They're very different responses usually <laughs> um, in terms of what yeah. they're proud of. Yeah. Um, but it was like, I remember one of my favorite responses way back when, and mom was saying how her child had told her he was going to pass on a leadership opportunity. And it was because he was already committed to a few others. And he always, he wanted to give someone else a chance to lead as well. Yeah. And, and then I think the mom, and I could see why that would be a proud moment for her in, in terms of recognizing her son had matured. And could recognize like he wanted to be responsible. Um, and, and I think it's also a leadership quality to encourage others to lead. So even if he didn't have that. So I think, you know, as parents or students work on that, know that it doesn't have to be linked to a traditional achievement in terms of the proud one. Right. And that in, in contrast to that, which a lot of students have a hard time talking about, you know, the thing that they're, they, they have really taken pride in, in what they've accomplished. Converse to that, I ask students, what's the biggest mistake that you've made in high school and what did you learn from it? I have, and having read lots of applications for internships and for scholarships and that, I can tell you a student who is able to outline something that they aren't, they weren't successful and can say why it was an important part of their learning process or what they've learned from it that was mm. important. That can actually be an authentic statement that tells more about them and their character and their ability to reflect and move forward from possibly not being successful. Uh, and that can be as powerful as talking about all the accolades. And I don't think, stu I don't think students, I don't think we actually give them the space um, to talk about that in a positive way. So I think that can be a, a really important part of what 
a teacher can highlight in a recommendation as well. And not many students are willing to go there. No, you're absolutely right. They, I've definitely seen a comparable version of like, tell us what your weaknesses are. And my students are like, do we really tell them what my weaknesses are? And I'm like, yeah, but it's how you frame it. Um, hopefully you've been working on it. I think I was like, if you can identify your weaknesses, that's already a great start, right? Agreed. That you would know, you know, areas for improvement, right? So, you know, they're like, they're really asking us this and they're going to write it in the rack. I said, yes, because it's a pop, it's a, it's potential for growth and reflection. Um, so, so yes, there are reasons for those questions and everything. Um, but, you know, what we didn't talk about actually too much was how many recommendations should students ask for? <laughs> it, I, this is a question that, um, you know, when you work with people who are in the college application process um, on, on many different sides of that equation, I was just on a call with somebody who's a representative for uh, a tech school, and they were talking about, they had talked with a representative from Duke and said that they had received an application with 31 recommendations, and the student actually didn't get in, but to me, I couldn't even get my head around why, how, how could a student or parent <laughs> um, actually think that 31 recommendations was good <laughs> as opposed to, you know, th th you can, you can gild the lily. And I, I think I tell students recommendations, a lot of schools, and we'll talk about this in a second, some schools don't actually ask for them. Uh -huh. uh, that number is increasing, uh, but for those who do, it's usually two: one from a, two, one from a core teacher, one one from a core teacher in science, math, one from a core teacher in history, English, and then of course the recommendation from your your school counselor, which identifies the characteristics of the school and grading policy and that kind of thing. But those are the three main ones, and then have one or two on hand that are ready for those schools that actually accept an external, um, a non-academic recommendation as well. How many do you tell students to hold on to? I usually tell them the two teachers, the counselor is mandatory, and then maybe one other if, yeah. they, if they have one. Um, I think anything over that can be overkill. And I always tell students, don't send more than what they ask for. <laughs> Don't send more than what they allow, because uh, I know there's like required, there's optional, and then, you know, there's the max allowed. And so that's what I usually tell students. Um, and then even with others, I've seen that some schools offer up to six. I don't know how you'd have six, but but don't feel compelled that if they offer six that you have to send six uh, is what I would say. And, you know, more, like you said, more is not necessarily better. And that's what I usually say is like one other, two teachers and a counselor. So four is usually what I recommend for my students. Yeah. And it, it's, it's quality, not quantity. I can tell you having been on the other side of this equation and had to read through recommendations, one or two really good recommendations is, <laughs> is, is light years better than, uh, you know, five mediocre ones. And I think students need to need to understand the quality of those recommendations and building those relationships. Boy, that that can really work to their advantage. Yeah, and I would also add there we forgot to talk about these, but there's a few schools with some rather odd recommendations as well. 
So I'm not going to name the schools, but there is a school that asks for a parent recommendation. And there's also a school I know that asks for a peer recommendation too. So there's also variations on these uh, recommendations that we've talked about. And you should definitely check with your schools. And I always find it interesting when a majority of schools will say, please don't send parent recommendations. (laughs) (laughs) For the love of all things holy and just, do not send a parent recommendation. I know. And when I saw that this school asked for one, I said, oh, okay, sure. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We're like, yeah, no, mom. Yes, please. You do this one for your child. He's like, what? Why? Why do I have homework? And what happens if your parent doesn't write a glowing recommendation? (laughs) That would hurt. You know, that hurts at a whole different level. That's a great point. One of the things that I I often ask students is to, to turn around and ask yourself, okay, what would a school want to hear about you? But the thing is, uh, why do schools even want recommendations? When you when you talk with with students, what do you tell them? Why are we even doing this? It's a great point. I usually say that most schools don't have a chance to meet you in person. Some schools have interviews, but very, very few. And so, you know, I think a lot of, and you know, a lot of admissions officers will say they get plenty of applications where the students have the stats, right? They have the grades, the scores, um, the resumes, everything. But to really understand how you would fit in the context of the community, a letter of recommendation can be really helpful for that. Um, And, you know, like Mark said, you said before, like offers more information about context, their character, um, their motivations, uh, what they care about. So it's a much it's it's a way to better understand what the student will bring to the campus community and from a community member that they're already, a, you know, a part of, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. I, I think when I talk with representatives, they say one of the most powerful things about a really good um, competitive application is it sounds like a cohesive statement about who you are, what you do, and why it's important to you. And I think the recommendations can provide supporting evidence and examples for the things that you say in other parts of the application that then somebody else supports and provides examples in in a different context from an adult's perspective. And I think that is one of the things that the recommendation can provide a school with evidence for that is the most valuable. Do you build relationships with adults? Are you able to speak with people that aren't your family and build relationships? Schools are really, you know, they're they're very clear about they want students that can come to the campus and be successful. And one of Mm -hmm. the components that they've identified is do you build support systems? Do you build people around you and build relationships with not only your peers and near peers, but also with adults who can help you and support you? And they know that if you're doing that in high school, you're going to do it in college and probably be more successful. So the recommendation can be a really good piece of evidence for that. I That is great advice, Mark. I totally agree. I think, and, and that's why I think this process can be so scary for students sometimes, because it's the first time they're communicating outside of a way that they're used to, right? They're used to talking to their teachers and asking them questions and talking in class and stuff. But this is the first time they're actually asking something from them. <laughs> um, and, and, and so I do think like the other thing I think is helpful is 
you know, I've heard from students like, hey, you know, you know, certain students cheat or certain students do this or that, or they're just not good people. <laughs> and so what I would say is like, you know, you stay in your lane, right? <laughs> um, stay in your lane. That's not our lane. But also I would say like, you know, people notice, right? People want good people, nice people at their schools. And, you know, we've talked about niceness as a factor before, Mark, but the recommendation is another place where that is reflected in terms of what this student is like as a person. Agreed. Their their character, what do they bring to the table that, that they, you know, how do they interact with people? How do they feel? Are they comfortable in their own skin? And when they um, put themselves in, in groups of people, how do they interact? Um, one of the things that students get, uh, I, I, they don't expect it when I tell them this, but a recommendation should be the things you do well. However, um, the most powerful recommendations that I've ever read um, for different programs, I can tell you uh, for, for the, the colleges that have um, professors who are ex-military or that they're retired military often write incredible recommendations. And the reason why is because they know it is a very powerful tool that can work to a student's advantage. And in doing that, they also realize that it's a snapshot of a person and their character and development and maturity over time. Good recommendations often will talk about things that you are working on, that you don't mm -hmm. necessarily do well, and that you are maturing and that they've seen you working on that and getting better at some of the things that they uh associate with becoming a mature adult. Um, I think that's one thing that students are always worried about. You know, the, the recommendation has to be all only positive things. And it really mm -hmm. doesn't. It, it can be much more positive to say they don't do this necessarily well, but they are working really hard on it. I agree. I think the other thing that is helpful that I've heard from admissions before are, are those anecdotes. So having real examples. So I think for the brag sheets, try to include those anecdotes. Um, and I think detailed examples <laughs> because it makes it so much easier. I like to tell my students, sometimes it's like asking your recommender to write a personal essay for you. It's, it's kind of like that. So if we're asking you to include details in your essays, think about doing that for your recommenders too, so that they can really help your recommendation come off the page as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then that kind of leads into a question. Are there things that you would not have a student put in a brag sheet? I don't know that there's anything I wouldn't have them put in terms of events. I think it has more to do with tone. So I've definitely read some and they took the bragging part a little too literally. <laughs> um, and and some certain things, you know, we talk about, like, maybe you save that for the parent one. I don't know that this is the right place for yours. Um, but I think most of the time it has, in my opinion, it has more to do with tone than it does that with anything they share. Agreed. I think that that's one of those, those opportunities. Every once in a while, you get one that is a little bit more glowing than maybe it or the tone is more glowing than it should be. And, and, and it's an exercise to um, discuss humility and that humility is not only a virtue, it can actually be a very positive and be viewed as a very positive thing. And changing that tone just a little can be to their advantage. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I would also say like, 
don't be too self-deprecating either. It's, it's, you got to find that happy medium. <laughs> um, right. Cause I don't know if you've ever had this, like you said, like it's the first time they have to talk about themselves. And I think that's what makes personal essays and brag sheets so difficult for students is they're not a good amount of students. They're not used to that. Right. And so, you know, they don't know what to include or what to share. And that can also include, like we talk about contacts, like if you have certain challenges that make it harder to do what you do or make certain some of your achievements um, much greater because, you know, you've had different challenges, you know, in your path, you know, don't be afraid to share that context with admissions. It's really helpful for them to know that. Agreed. Well, we've talked about what the what the recommendations are, who they're for, what they should include, how to set them up, and how to set teachers up for successfully writing one. Um, what happens so and and we're in this now. <laughs> uh, you're looking at your common application profile, and you're looking at all the boxes and you're looking at recommendations. Wait a second, early action is coming, and the recommendations aren't in. So, what do you tell students? How do you have them identify, engage, and work within the boundaries of responsibility and respectfulness? If those boxes aren't getting checked and it's getting down to the deadline, what do you encourage them to do? It depends how close they're getting, but let's say we're two weeks from the deadline. Yep. Uh, if it's if it's more than two weeks, I'd, I'd tell them to just sit tight because uh, the teachers have a lot of work on their plates. But I usually say if it's getting closer to the deadline, you can reach out to the teacher and just a friendly no and just say like, hi, I just wanted to, because my students usually send their applications in early. So they'll usually say like, hi, I just wanted to update you that I've sent in the applications for X schools. Um, take, obviously take your time writing my letter of rec, but please do let me know if there's anything you need from me to make that process easier as I know it can, you know, it requires your time and, and I, I want to be conscious of it. And I'm so grateful that you're doing this for me um, or some version of that. Yep. Yeah. Usually that, that two week envelope and, and I'll, I'll, I'll identify that there are two sides of that. There's the recommenders envelope, two weeks. And then there's the student who is looking at that deadline, freaking out. So <laughs> totally understand that student, you know, oh, I need this in. If it doesn't get in my application's not accepted, yada, yada. And that's a valid concern. Mm-hmm. However, having been the teacher who's writing the recommendation, I can tell you that that two-week envelope, that's about the amount of time I need to fit it into my schedule. So yes. if on the outside chance that a teacher has forgot it <laughs> in all of the things that they're trying to juggle, if you come up and responsibly and respectfully ask, I am uh, just, just wanted to check in. Uh, I'm applying early action and that's the, the deadline's November 1st. Did you need any other information um, for the recommendation? And just opening that door and recognizing and that kind of subtle reminder in a respectful way can often save a teacher to might have forgotten that yes. recommendation was coming. Um, and and I, I tell students uh, over 10 years, there were two times when a when a, a student came up and basically said, you know, we've, we've only got a couple you know, weeks. I was just checking in. Do you need any other information? And I had completely lost sight that I was writing that recommendation. There were two times that they saved me from being incredibly embarrassed. So uh. let students know if you do it in a responsible and respectful way, 
teachers are going to appreciate it. And there's, there's uh-huh. no teacher that's going to go like, I, I told you I'd get that. If you do it in the right way and just let them know, if you need more information, just let me know. Um, otherwise, uh, I was just checking in. And that's- no, I think that's a great way of putting it. And I've had some students and they've told me stories where the teacher would then say, yes, I have it for you. And they yeah. furiously type it up that day. And hand it to Absolutely. Them. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> the next day they'll be like, I will have it for you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's just part of that relationship. And that's the reason why you build those relationships over time. Um, so that when, when things don't go according to plan, there's that buffer and that civility that happens where, oh, I'm so sorry. I totally forgot. Or I have it ready for you. I'll have it. I'll drop it in tomorrow. And I'm sorry for how long it took. Just having those, you know, that's the niceness box again. Mm-hmm. For, for and also be sure to thank them. I always tell my students, you've got to remember to thank them. These recommendations can take a lot of time to write. Be sure to thank your recommenders um, because, they don't get paid extra for this. <laughs> oh, oh no, they don't. <laughs> um, and and you actually you you hit the 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 nail right on the head. I I encourage students. This is an opportunity to not only uh, have your niceness box checked, but also to practice humility and gratitude. And taking a few minutes to write a handwritten thank you note. Um, for the recommendation, but I actually have students do that handwritten thank you note, and I have them write another one once they have signed on in May 1st and say, and write back to the teacher, thank you so much for your support. I'll be attending X, you know, university or college, and I'm so excited and couldn't have done it without you. Those notes, and having been on the receptive side, uh, receiving side, I, I can tell you, they are things that I, I still have. I have, I have thank you notes that I've kept. And uh, I think students don't, don't realize um, what that, that one minute of uh, gratitude and saying thank you can mean to a teacher. It makes it worth the hours they spend doing this for sure. Absolutely. Uh, being able to be recognized. And then I think one last note I would put, because I don't know if you've ever had parents ask you, but do we get to read the letters of recommendation? Ah, <laughs> Have you ever had anyone ask you that? So there are a couple of pieces to that. And we know that there's the FERPA box. Mm-hmm. Students who, and I, I tell students, A, you do not want to write, you do not want to read your recommendation. And I said, if you're asking the right person, it shouldn't be even something that you, you, have you shouldn't need to. You shouldn't need to. You should know pretty much what they're going to write anyway. Um, so check that FERPA box. And in so doing, that means that you're not re- re- reading that recommendation. The other part of that equation is, and I've had students who have asked teachers for a recommendation, and the teacher says, why don't you go ahead and write one up, and then I'll send it in. And I'll let students know that there are so many things wrong with that equation that it's something, A, you can't sign the FERPA box, and you do want to do that, colleges actually want you to, to uh, indicate that you haven't read your recommendation. But that's also one of those things in building that relationship, you really are hoping that you're asking somebody who wants to support you and speak about all of your good qualities and accolades. So yeah, I, reading recommendations, not a good thing. 
Yeah. I always tell parents, no, no, you don't. We, we check off the box that you waive the right. So I don't know, but I think it's a common question. Oh, and we didn't talk about how there are also some schools that don't ask for letters of rack. And I yeah. think it's much more common at the public schools because they don't have time <laughs> to read the recs. But, you know, I would say, just like we said before, don't send it if they didn't ask for it. Agreed. And that's that's the thing that I think students have a hard time letting go of. Uh, if, if they don't want one, don't send it. Yes. Oh, and one more note, cause I don't know if this question comes up for you too. Should you, cause like you, you, some teachers, I don't know if that's the case in, in Seattle, but have their own recommend, uh, brag sheets. Yep. And so I've had students and obviously the questions are similar. And my students ask like, Hey, can I just copy the answers from, you know, one brag sheet to the next? And I said, it really depends, but know that if you do that, you might end up with two very similar letters of recommendation. Um, and so it really depends on the question, but I encourage them to try to find different examples for each. Exactly. And that's, that's one of the, some, some teachers have their own uh, brag sheet that they want students to fill out. I had one of those. And uh, if a student has a brag sheet, I will, I, I, most teachers will always take that. But there are some schools who want specific information addressed and um, shared between student and, and teacher. So it is one of those things where provide the teacher with what they're most comfortable with in writing that recommendation, because ultimately you want them to feel good about writing it and they want examples that they can support you on your journey um, in the most powerful way. Great, great. Well, thank you so much, Mark. I think we like covered everything about recommendations and brag sheets today. Yeah, that was fun. And it's one of those things that I think students actually should enjoy the process and, and think about their building relationships with, with teachers uh, that are long, long-term relationships as well. Yes. Yes. So we wish you all a happy admission season. And I think now you all know, don't rush your teachers <laughs> or your recommenders. Um, and yeah, this has been fun, Mark. Thank you, Anna. Thanks for listening to College Admissions with Mark and Anna, where we make getting into college easy and fun. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and subscribe to get updated each time we release a new episode. Also, for more helpful college admissions information, visit our website at www.collegeadmissionspodcast.com.